0: from float on has become a bit of a john lilly expert and boy are you in for a wild ride on today's episode we learned so much about john lilly our government and you know it, it just absolutely unexpected things that all converge between uh john lilly and uh flow therapy and um it is absolutely fascinating and might change how you think about floating and certainly the history of, of float tanks so definitely give this one a listen Before we get started, of course, I want to shout out Helmbot. Whether you are an existing float center who is expanding, changing your offerings, or you're a new float center, you simply owe it to yourself to get a hold of the people at Helmbot. Schedule a tour with them and see if it's a good fit for you. Um, I, I can... I implore you to, to check them out because I think it will be a good fit. Uh, what they do is now for float tanks, massage, yoga, teaching classes, no matter what kind of setup you have for your float center or what you're adding to it, cold plunge, uh, infrared sauna, uh, they are now able to, um, put that on the schedule and, um, people can purchase cart packages however you want it and do their own scheduling it's something that we used at the flip shop for i don't even know how many years now and uh, we absolutely love it and we've done everything at our place and including yoga classes including massage acupuncture room rentals i mean you name it we've done it and um yeah we absolutely love Helmbot. so definitely do yourself a favor and go to Helmbot.com. And again, just schedule that tour. Don't don't take my word for it. Talk with them. Make sure it can do everything that you want and uh, make sure it's a good fit for you. Again, Helmbot.com is where you want to go. also want to give a shout out to the FTA. Again, whether you're a first time, you know, starting your planning for your float center or you already exist, there's so much information that the FTA can provide you. Uh, you don't have to scour the web for little bits of information. Go to flotation.org. F L O A T float flotation.org and check out the website. Become a member, support the group that supports all of us, and get a wealth of information. All the things that you need to know to set up your float center and be in the know, be educated, and of course, be part of the community, which is so important as well. They do so many other things as well, including live webinars, bringing experts in, having roundtables. Uh, by joining, you're, you're getting a lot back for yourself to help uh, your own float center uh, be as, as uh, functional, safe, and financially viable as possible. Again, go to flotation.org to check them out. All right, let's start that show. Welcome back to another episode of Art of the Float, where float centers thrive. My name is Dylan, and I own The Float Shop in Portland, Oregon, with my lovely wife, Sandra.
1: And this is Drew from New Hampshire Float in the quiet little state of New Hampshire.
0: Uh, Marshall is from Float On here, where I'm located, in Portland, Oregon. And is is there anything else you'd like to share, like how long you've been with Float On, maybe a little bit of your your journey?
2: Yeah, um, so I've been with Float On since 2012. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, I started there as an intern, so I've been <laughs> nice. in the industry for a while, um, and uh, I I learned about John C. Lilly, um, well, I've known about him even longer since I was mm. in college, and I randomly picked a, up a book of his off of a shelf in the library <laughs> called Simulations of God, and... Um, and uh, it was an interesting book. Uh, I was interested in the psychedelic movement, altered states of consciousness, you know, college stuff. Um, and uh, I've kind of been, well, yeah, I've definitely been interested in him since then. And uh, over the last few years, it's turned into like more of like a serious study, <laughs> uh, potentially you know, for a book. And I've talked about it oh, on my cool. podcast as well. Um, I have a podcast called Deep State History. Uh, it's sort of like the other half of my, my life as far as interests go. Um,
0: or deep maybe State, a third, that's, that's, a, uh, that's a powerful word right now. When, yeah. when you say Deep um, State History, what does that mean to you? Yeah,
2: um, and I try to... All right, let, let me get this, this <laughs> out there. I, I was using this phrase before anybody.
0: Ah, uh, okay, really, it got loaded afterward. It, it
2: got loaded a few, you know, a few years ago. Uh-huh. But I think uh, what it basically is, is um, the concept of power uh, outside of the the regular um, electoral electorally elected, you know, system of government we have. It's kind of where government and private interests intersect uh, in a way that's not acknowledged. Um, So, uh, yeah, this goes like, it applies to anything from, you know, like back backroom deals, bribery, that sort of thing, and just other ways that uh, like people in power
1: exert that power through government. That just sounds like our government.
2: Yeah, it is. Well, <laughs> you know, there's the the part of the government that we, you know, elect. Um, and then there is like the power structures behind it that basically tell them what to do. Um, I think it's pretty widely acknowledged that uh, the will of like the majority of people isn't always represented in government. Um, and oftentimes it's private power that... Uh, you know, exerts more influence. Um, I hope that's not too controversial. Yeah, I'd be hard-pressed to, to meet Kingsbury. somebody who
0: didn't agree with that. On I think on maybe people would disagree with with whom and all that, but I think as a generalized statement, I don't know anybody who would disagree with that for sure. Um, yeah. Now, does that dovetail into John Lilly or... It does. It,
2: uh, right. it does right. very much it, in ways I didn't, uh, I didn't understand until later, but... Um, yeah, so it's this this fascinating uh, intersection between my two interests, floating nice, and nice. the deep straight, and that's like what what I'm researching and talking about.
0: And and if it isn't clear to to our listeners already, uh, we that's what we're here to talk to Marshall about. Marshall is uh, is uh, extremely knowledgeable on on Dr. Lilly, and and I think um, he'll go into a little bit of his history and his history with floating. If you're unaware of it, and um, and then uh, I think we'll get deeper and deeper into it.
2: Yeah. So uh, as float tank owners and operators, I'm sure everybody has been asked where these tanks come from. Like why were they created? Who invented them? Um, and there is, a, I feel like we mostly all tell the same story about John C. Lilly. It's told in his, his books, his autobiographies, and, um, you know, he was trying to separate, I guess, consciousness from external stimulation. You uh, talked about trying to to see if, like, you know, the the subjective mind even exists absent of external stimulation. And there is a sort of debate going on between the behaviorism school of psychology and, um, I guess, more you know, newer newer thought. I'm not sure what the other school was off the top of my head um, and so the story goes uh, You know, John Seeley was interested in these issues and created the float tank to explore consciousness um, separated from external stimuli um, and it's true for the most part but it's also missing some very key elements uh, mm-hmm. and I feel like after after I explain this, it's going to be <laughs> it's going to be difficult to answer the question of where flow tanks came from. Oh, First, you know, so um, I'm sorry for complicating everybody's <laughs> lives out there uh, because I guess what I would say, um, and I'm not sure if I would want to say this to a client, is that. Float tanks really spun off of like a top secret government project into brainwashing and mind control. Um, And that is why we have them. (laughs) Mm. Uh, So this this started um, in the 50s. And I'll start by explaining the two main projects that the the CIA, the Central Intelligence Agency, was working on. Um, The first, or one of the first, was called Artichoke. And then a more well-known one is called MK MKUltra. Uh, so these were happening in the 50s during the Cold War. Um, and we didn't actually learn about them until the 70s when uh, a bunch of documents were released um, under Freedom of Information Act requests. And what we know about them actually is just like a very small amount um compared to like what was actually there because most of the documents relating to mk ultra project artichoke and other programs were destroyed um they were they were burned and shredded uh so so we do have a uh there there's there's boxes that were left over um somehow and uh, these were uh eventually collected by a guy named john marks who wrote um about them in uh a book called "The Search for the Manchurian Candidate." Um, he also spoke with Lily, um, so Lily actually helped him write portions of the book and explained, uh, you know, part of what was going on. Um, he also left out some pertinent details about himself when he was explaining this to John Marks. Um, so the point is, we don't we we have a very partial view of what was happening because of all these lost documents. But uh, what well, we do have does it it is voluminous like there's a lot of information out there so sensory deprivation comes into this uh from about the year 1951 um agents of the cia were meeting uh with uh members of the canadian defense board i believe um yeah the canadian defense research board uh, it was a meeting of the minds to talk about uh, what they called brain warfare. Um, it took place at a Ritz-Carlton hotel in Montreal, and present at this meeting was a man named Dr. Donald Hebb, and he is really the father of sensory deprivation. Uh, he started out uh, teaching sensory deprivation to, uh, well, not teaching it, experimenting on sensory deprivation in rodents. Um, he was also a very, I, th- I think he was like the head of the American and Canadian Psychiatric Association. So he was in this meeting um, and it was Hebb who proposed sensory deprivation studies as a way of approaching brainwashing and mind
0: control. So Can I... Can I uh- pause for just a second, and I, I'm, sure. you're probably going to get there anyway, but when you say sensory deprivation, when they're talking about sensory deprivation, what does that mean to them at that time?
2: Right. Well, uh, so Lily's method hadn't been developed yet. Um, so what Hebb was doing uh, was what's it, it resembles what's called the dry method now. Mm-hmm. Um, you have goggles over your eyes to block out all the light. You'd have a uh, a headset on that blocks out all the sound. Um, you're sitting reclining in a chair and they would actually put like these cardboard tubes over your arms. So you can't feel anything. Um, so instead yeah, of being like total is- darkness, it's just kind of like seeing like
0: a, just an all white field and, you know, noise cancellation or whatever. Um, There's video of this. I, I've seen this uh, like arms in tubes. I think Dr. Feinstein showed that maybe at a float conference yeah, um, extremely disturbing. <laughs> right. Yeah, it doesn't. It yeah, it doesn't
2: sound great.
0: Right. Uh, and
2: but Heb, so this this was the those were the initial experiments Hebb was doing uh, at uh, McGill University, uh, which is in, I believe, in Montreal, um, and he was doing this for initially for the Canadian Defense Department. Uh once his experiments were leaked, uh, there was a little bit of a public uproar. Um, He continued doing them under a contract from the CIA's uh, Human Ecology Fund. So, uh, the Human Ecology Fund was a front that the CIA created to fund research studies for MKUltra all over the country, and they, they put an enormous amount of money in this, and, like, really a lot of the behavioral sciences of the fifties were
0: tied to MKUltra because they, they really like went that far into it. Yeah, um, are, was this research, like, let's go back to Canada before the, mm-hmm. the U S funding it is, the, are these illegal experiments? Are these people signing up for this and signing their waiver or what's, um, what's that?
2: These, they were legal um, in the sense like it was voluntary, um, they They were uh, covert. There were there experiments that weren't released and are classified. Um, so some of it we don't know. But uh, for the yeah. most part, what Hebb was doing was using volunteers. Um, now that is not to say that all the MK Ultra experiments were legal. Um, yeah, and I saw Drew using volunteers in clothes like, yeah. they're, well, they're, they're mostly hungry college students like who wanted oh, to make uh, fifteen dollars a day. Um, but uh one of hebb's colleagues was Ewan cameron um and he uh took he took hebb's experim- experiments to extreme levels and he's like rather famous for uh pioneering something called psychic driving which um combined sensory deprivation and a long list of drugs um and uh repeated audio messages uh, played into people's minds over and over and over again. Um, that was at the same university. And Ewan Cameron also was the head of the American Psychiatric Association or Psychological Association. So these guys were basically at the tops of their field um, and they, it was a secret that they were taking CIA money to do this. Um, so what was publicly known about was done under the guise of being just like standard research done for, you know, for the field in these institutions. Um, when like the people that were paying for the research and using it for their own purposes were the CIA or other intelligence agencies too. So, yeah. Heb was doing these experiments um, and Lily uh was working at the National Institute of Mental Health. Um and under the advice or the the directions of um a guy named Robert Swain Morrison who worked at the Rockefeller Foundation, which was like a huge funder of of all these behavioral science programs as well, uh went to visit Donald Hebb and observed his sensory deprivation tank experiments, or not not tanks, his uh, dry method, and he went back to the National Institutes of Mental Health and proposed his new version, which was the the original wet method, which is I'm I'm sure we all know, is like when you're um, you're suspended completely under the water with a big helmet over your head, feeding you air um and yes yeah, like the extreme um but uh, yeah very interesting experiments so he was doing these on himself and one volunteer to start out with um so the exact reason why he was chosen to do these experiments is is not exact i would i would say it's still up in the air like i, I don't believe that it was completely his own um like nothing but uh, his own curiosity that led him to do this um there were also other members of the National Institute for Mental Health working on sensory deprivation at the time uh including a guy named Maitland Baldwin who was working right next to uh Lily according to Lily at the National Institute of Mental Health uh and he was also uh he was also conversing directly with the CIA, specifically a guy named Morris Allen who ran Project Artichoke. So Maitland Baldwin's method was just to put somebody in a box. It, well, he had a, a, a military volunteer. He locked the guy in a soundproof and light proof box until the guy kicked and screamed and like basically kicked his way out of the box, uh, I believe, a few days later. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. So <laughs> the So why was the CIA interested in this again? Like the, the idea was that if you put somebody in sensory deprivation long enough, um, they, their mind kind of dissolves in a way like, uh, you're, you're cutting off the external stimulation. Um, you reach a state of like suggestibility, they believed, um, and they thought like your you know your beliefs could be reversed under these conditions so you know if you you separate somebody from the the things that reinforce their their beliefs and their thinking and then input only your own or what you choose to go into them um you know whether usually in the form of like audio recordings theoretically according to these guys you could eventually brainwash them into hating what they once loved, you know, adopting any, you know, point of view you want. So that was the
0: idea. And they did... And and not, mm -hmm. not, I mean, it just, I mean, it it seems obvious, but it should be said this would be torture and illegal. Like this, that at that point, its application would be outside of um, human rights.
2: Yes. Uh, Well, it could... (laughs) Or perhaps therapeutically Exactly, therapeutically. Like so uh you know, one idea is like if uh you know where your, your mental health issues like reside in some you know some part of your mind, like if we starve that part of your mind, um basically erase your entire mind, <laughs> then we're getting rid of that issue. And mm-hmm. so we can reprogram you after that to be a healthy Uh, you know, well-adjusted person. Um, And so that, so in a way, therapy and brainwashing are, you know, kind of, uh, there's some overlap there. There's some overlap, right, totally. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So what Lily discovered uh, was that... Well, he made the discovery that this wasn't necessarily torture. Um, There is, you know, therapeutic... Like, he enjoyed the experience. Uh, He reached a a special state of mind. Um, So... And and this was something I think was observed to a lesser extent in the earlier experiments. But, like, you couldn't really get to it without the WET method. Um, And even then, that early one didn't... You know, as we know, it it didn't work very well. Um, But... The the CIA was still very much interested in in the wet method as well, and uh, it um, they built a tank at Cornell, and under with funding from the Human Ecology Fund, uh, they did experiments with the wet and dry sensory deprivation, Um, and these were experiments that were specifically aimed at. gauging like how well you could adjust somebody's behavior or modify their behavior or their beliefs and things like that.
0: And so with the, with the wet float, they're also wet earbud speakers. They're, they're putting ideas in your head as well, repeating phrases, something like that.
2: Yes. Yeah. Um, at Cornell, they quickly decided that they, they would rely on the dry float method. Mm -hmm. Um, but I know later on, um, yeah, you know, the, the wet float method, like once once it was refined it, it was used a lot more. Um and there was all sorts of like therapy going on as well, like, you know, um even hypnotherapy combined with floating, uh, which is supposed to be, you know, a very powerful technique, but you can obviously see where, you know, that could go wrong. Um so and it, it yeah, so it, it wouldn't necessarily be torture, but it could be like conditioning as well to uh you yeah, much like it's probably used by the Navy SEALs today. <laughs> oh, interesting.
0: Um, so you brought up Manchurian Candidate earlier, as a, so I, I think it's just on my mind of uh, right. what, what this could be used for. And...
2: Yeah. Um, so there's a movie that uh, came out in the early '60s called uh, um, The Mind Benders, and it, it was definitely based on events around John C. Lilly because uh, his experiments were actually publicized in the uh in the the mid-50s um the director of the national institute of mental health actually went before congress and was talking about the brainwashing experiments they were conducting at the national institute of mental health and he started talking about flu takes and um oh. it's really it's really fascinating like I, I can read a little bit from this article Dr. Um, kim are
0: you aware of this at all is this news to you
2: Yeah, you can find the uh, articles about it in the archives of the New York Times. But uh, yeah, so Dr. Felix talking to Congress, um, he's explaining what is going on in John C. Lilly's experiments. And he says, he is placed, that's the subject, he's placed in a tank of water at body temperature upside down and he floats, said Dr. Felix. Now this is a most comfortable feeling for an hour or two. It is the most relaxing thing. It is like floating in air. It's like going back before you were born. So this is like the 1950s. A guy telling this to Congress, which is hilarious. Um, but then he goes on and yeah, amazing too. Like yeah, you know, yeah, right. Um,
0: that's, that's the great marketing right there. Yeah, yeah,
2: it was really good. But then he goes on to explain um, that uh, in about an hour or two, he wakes up and finds his thoughts are going over and over, sort of like a closed circuit. You will get on some subject and go over and over it mm. again um, so. The reason for this is deprivation of outside stimuli. And part of the reason that you or I do what we call logical thinking is that there are things that feed in through some source, some reception source, ears, nose, eyes, skin, whatnot, so that these things feeding in orient us and tell us when we are thinking and give us stimuli for additional thinking. With all these turned off, one is left with this closed circuit, and this begins to go around and around and magnifies, distorts, and completely changes the whole thinking process. Um, so then a Senator asks, is this a form of brainwashing Senator Margaret Chase Smith? Yes, ma'am. It is. Dr. Felix replies. It is part of brainwashing. Um, and then Felix goes on to explain, you know, that they are going to replace, they're, they're going to feed in their own signals. And once you do that, uh, you know, the person should be totally pliable and, uh, you know, uh, able to be brought over to your point of view, um, So and then the the New York Times uh, interviewed, (laughs) yeah, yeah, the New York Times and interviewed uh, Doctor. Lilly about it, and um, he, uh, you know, he stressed that like these experiments are, you know, voluntary and uh, the subject knows he can get out at any time, so it's not like brainwashing, but that uh, you know that this method could be used for that, and uh, he definitely believed that. Uh Uh, Um. So, shortly after this, actually, Lily organized symposiums about about brainwashing, um, and he was doing this at the same time that the Human Ecology Fund was.
0: Uh, I'm sorry, I, I know I'm yeah. mid-sentence. I interrupted you mid sentence. I so when we ta- use the word brainwashing, language changes over time, right. and and I'm curious because. Um, Earlier when I was like, well, isn't that illegal? And you're like, well, I mean, it could just be a therapeutic use. Could could we think of therapists now as being brainwashing, using that same term from 50s and 60s? Like, does it mean something different back then that doesn't sound as intense as how we mean it now or as manip- manipulative or with ill intent?
2: Um, well, the way they're using it then was definitely uh, with the connotations Illy. of ill intent because CIA <laughs> yeah, not finding
0: made. it for for the betterment <laughs> of, of everyone uh, to have a right
2: um, yeah and also there was a uh, so at the time they they were claiming um, that the communists were using brainwashing and so okay. that kind of served as the as basically an excuse for american scientists to be involved in this you know I ostensibly it would be a defensive program mm. we have to learn how to do it because they're doing it and then we can learn how to protect our
0: agents or whatever from being brainwashed great um, way to convince us to support it that's good yeah
2: <laughs> um so yeah and as far as like today's terms um yeah, I, I think it's an interesting question. <laughs> the the you know the difference but, but between like therapy and brainwashing. Um, <laughs> you know, it all depends on the motivation, and I guess you know to some extent the methods. But.
0: but but when they're talking in front of the Senate about using the term brainwashing, everybody knows what that means. Like that that is very similar. Like when you're yeah. saying we're doing it to the Russians, then yeah, they're thinking this is what awkward. the the communists like
2: did to you know. Okay. Um, and yeah, very, it was a very loaded word. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, Lily's first uh, public lecture about his flow tank experiments took place at a symposium on brainwashing that he organized. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, this was at the same time that the Human Ecology Fund was... Uh, they were given a project by the CIA to pretty much bring together all the literature that had and all the work that had been done so far, um, to yeah to bring it all together in in one place. And so it really looks like Lily was part of that project. Um, other people that were involved were uh, Harold Wolf, who was the the head of the Human Ecology Fund, and he had been. Involved in sensory deprivation work at Cornell. Um, And, uh, yeah. And was also, yeah. So a definite MKUltra contractor, um, good friends with Alan Dulles, who was the director of the CIA at the time. Um, so yeah, Lily was right there. Um, and he, uh, he did these symposiums, uh, four of them, like for a few years, um, other people that were at the symposiums were uh, um, Donald Hebb was there, uh, Leo Goldberg, who was a another sensory deprivation tank researcher at Cornell. Um, the talks were sponsored by the Office of Naval Research. So it was like a, you know, a military-funded thing. Um, and then after that... Uh, sensory deprivation research like really kind of exploded um with the publicity and there were like hundreds and hundreds of studies done in the late uh, 60s on it um jay shirley who went to work with lilly in 1956 and really was the co-inventor of the sensory deprivation tank um He split off from the National Institute of Mental Health and went to uh, the um, University of Oklahoma, I believe it was, Uh, and he he continued sensory deprivation tank work there. Um, He did that under the director of uh, psychiatry there, or sometimes I say psychiatry, I mean psychology. Um, The director of psychology at the University of Oklahoma was a guy named Lewis Jolly and West. he is one of the most, um, I guess, enthusiastic uh, scientists involved in MK Ultra. He's kind of like a um, like Forrest Gump of uh, MK Ultra and weird stuff. Um, so he like before uh, before Shirley went to work for him, he had a CIA contract to uh, investigate disassociative states uh hypnotism and drugs such as lsd for the cia um and this is where he he continued um in 1963 i believe he uh somewhat famously gave lsd to an elephant named tusco Um, and tusco unfortunately died uh, because of it because he miscalculated the amount of lsd he said um or I think the actual cause of death might have been a drug that they gave to try to bring Tusco down or something. Uh, but it ended badly for Tusco. But this was a year before John C. Lilly was giving LSD to dolphins. So mm-hmm. there was a lot of this stuff going around. And the reasons for, for uh, John Johnny and West giving Tusco the LSD aren't exactly clear either. Um,
0: Wow. Okay.
2: Yeah, so he uh, (laughs) so this was who Shirley was working with. One more story about Jolly West just to kind of really cement who this guy was. Um, John F. Kennedy was assassinated. Um, The assassination was blamed on Lee Harvey Oswald. Um, Lee Harvey Oswald was killed by a man named Jack Ruby the next day. Um, or very soon after the assassination of JFK, um, Lewis Jolly and West uh, paid a visit to Jack Ruby while he was in uh, being held um, in jail uh, to do a psychiatric evaluation on Jack Ruby, and uh, he he went in um, privately, interacted with Ruby, and came out and said that Ruby had gone completely insane, um, and this was a CIA doctor who had previously claimed to be able to uh, create uh, states of insanity in people using drugs and hypnosis. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, again, the story was, Ruby was fairly healthy and normal until Jolly West paid him a visit. And then after that, he was hallucinating uh, that, um, or, well, he he believed that there was a... uh, like a massive pogrom going on against uh, the Jews of America. Um, And that he was like his, his family was being killed all these crazy things. He was never the same after that. Um, So Jolly West actually paid John C. Lilly a visit a year after that to float in his float tanks down in St. Thomas. Um, And you can find Jolly West's, uh, his entry in um, the book, The Deep Self, which uh, is a uh, John C. Lilly book that like chronicles a lot of people's different float experiences. So I found Jolly West's name in there, which was uh, very surprising. Um, And it was, uh, it was surprising too, because it had to have been in a time when Lilly was down in St. Thomas, you know, if the years are correct, which makes one wonder why, jolly west would go travel so far just to uh visit lily and try out his float tank um so that kind of the end well lily continued to do government projects like outside of float tanks um you know that that part of his career kind of ended the real flow tank research seemed to have been being performed by other people like Jay Shirley and Leo Goldberger. Um, and there's a lot of good stuff. Um, there's, you know, astronaut experiments and stuff like that. Lily's other project at the National Institute of Mental Health uh, was research into brain electrical stimulation of the brain. Um, so he had been doing this since the early fifties. He invented a device called the Bobitron, which, um, could, which involved electrodes being implanted in the brain and, you know, reading out the responses by, by basically lighting up a, uh, an array of light bulbs. So you could see what, at what region of the brain are being activated by, you know, which thing. And then wow. he later discovered the, uh, motivational, what he called the motivational centers of the brain. So, Pleasure, pain, uh, fear, um, and uh, I guess yeah, very happy, like stimulating, positive experiences could all be elicited by uh, by planting electrodes into the brain and um, and using small electrical stimuli. So, this research was also of interest to the CIA um, and towards the end of his career or it might've been right after his, uh, you know, work at the national Institute of mental health when he was transitioning to dolphins, he wrote a paper, um, called, uh, on, I'm, I got to abbreviate the title cause I don't remember the whole thing. It's long, but it's on yes. modified human agents. Um, the, the paper went on to explain that, uh, through a combination of sensory deprivation and electrical stimulation of the brain, uh, you could get what he um, called master-slave controls over a human being. Oh. <laughs> um, and he also said in the paper that, like the extent to what, we'll, what the extent that we'll be able to do this is going to depend on how many electrodes you can put in the brain. <laughs> And so far, they're working with hundreds, but someday they'll, you know, maybe get up to thousands. Um, And that he would continue these experiments uh, to, you know, try to come to the, you know, the full answer of like exactly how much control you can do on a brain. Um, And so the question is, where where was he going to be doing this and on what brains? Um, And it was dolphin brains. They were the, you know, the next largest, no, they're, they're, their brains are larger than animals, but they're a, you know, a good source of brains. Um, and Lily wasn't into uh, performing experiments on people um, other than himself first. Uh, so uh, there were experiments done on people with electronic stimulation of the brain done shortly after Lily, you know, made his advancements in the field. Uh including on psychiatric patients and prisoners, um, some rather ghastly stuff and stuff that isn't well documented. Um, And Lily actually, he wrote uh, articles like complaining about this because it it was like some inhumane things going on. Um, But he was going to be working on dolphins. And if you read um, Man and Dolphin... Uh, which is his the first book he ever wrote. Uh, he explains his methods of controlling dolphins through electronic brain stimulation. Uh, basically, instead of doing what regular dolphin trainers do, which is you know feed the dolphin a fish every time it it does what you want it to do, he was giving the dolphins stimulation in the form of an electrical pulse to the region of their brain that created pleasure so he was you know remote training these dolphins directly through inputs into their brain to behavior in certain ways so you can kind of see like where that would you know kind of link into um, into possible military applications um and that his work a lot is made of this his dolphin research being funded by NASA. Um, but really a lot of it came from the Navy as well. And I feel like the, the, like those, the NASA is like, that's kind of the cover story about, you know, interacting with the new species and this preparing us for space travel and extraterrestrials and stuff like that. Um, I, I feel that the military was much more interested well, I know they're much more interested in weaponizing this technology and weaponizing the dolphins themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, Lilly proposed in one paper, well, he he did, he recognized the intelligence of dolphins before almost anybody. Um, and he also mentioned that if they could be convinced to work for the U.S. government, they could be invaluable allies. Um and this research was carried on for years. Well, there there are like active dolphin—I uh, don't know what you call it, like dolphin platoons or whatever—in the yeah. in yeah. the Navy now. Um, so that kind of sprang out of this. Uh, but what is less known was that the CIA had its own dolphin program in the early '60s. Um, I think this only came out in like 2019 after some other documents were released but it had a a program called Project Oxygas O X Y G A S um where they they captured dolphins and trained them to deliver
0: explosives um to boats um, yeah that's the that's the one I'm aware of that's
2: uh yeah, yeah. um so uh Fidel Castro actually at one point said that he believed he was the was going to be the target of a dolphin led assassination. <laughs> um the I think he, he think that he thought that they would uh, deliver, I believe, an explosive seashell. Um but this yeah, this was going on right around the time that Lily was doing his work in the uh, in around the same area too.
0: Um so, Marshall, I'm I'm concerned about time. Like, uh, mm-hmm. is this going to have to be a two parter or not? Because there, I feel like this story is not coming to a close uh, anytime soon. But I'm also so curious about if from all the buildup of what you've talked about, the where that's gone and what applications are being used. But I also have a feeling even more threads are going to be woven into the story as it keeps developing. Because as you're telling the story, so so much gets added to it, where I, I'm following right. one thread and it's like, oh, actually, it, it keeps building outwards into these unexpected um, areas. Can I... Um, and, and we can... Certainly, mm-hmm. keep talking for a little bit here, but I'm just curious if I can narrow in on the <laughs> whether it's therapeutic or the brainwashing of the mind, whether it's with electrodes, whether it's with spoken word, using sensory deprivation. Where did that lead to? Because it seems like research part of the pun, but ended up tanking. But was there something that continued? Was there any knowledge of any for the research or applications going forward? Um, well, it,
2: uh, yeah, so it, it continued, um, and then, you know, unfortunately, we, we won't ever know, like, the extent that it was used by the CIA, um, and, you know, other intelligence agencies, uh, but, yeah, I mean, obviously, the therapeutic, you know, work continued, um, it was big in the 60s and 70s, um, and a lot of that's been, been published, um, The question of like how it could have been used in like covert operations um, is a good one. But yeah, we we don't really know. We know that like Lewis Jolly and West at one point asked for, he asked the CIA to fund a laboratory where he would create a chamber uh, that he would have total control over all the sensory possibilities. So that including, you know light sounds, temperature, like everything um, and it's not its not known if that ever got built mm. um, there's also just the wide use of sensory deprivation um, in like a little I guess less exotic but like more effective methods which is like what they do in prisons like Guantanamo Bay um, they basically you know if you look at a I I showed this in my in my talk at the conference but uh prisoners at Guantanamo Bay had um their eyes covered they had earphones over their head uh they were put in dark rooms they were they were put under sensory deprivation um, conditions uh the CIA has a uh, a training manual called Kubark uh which also explains uh, well, it, it goes into enhanced ter- interrogation as well as assassination techniques and other things like that. But um, it it references John Lilly extensively um, and it talks about uh, how sensory deprivation is like what well, it's basically a key tool in the tool chest of interrogating people um, and, you know, to an unknown extent, behavior modification. Because, I mean, like, getting somebody to confess or give up information, that's a a form of behavior modification. Um, But it's not all the way to creating a Manchurian candidate. Uh, So, we don't know exactly how far they they got in that direction, although, like, we can speculate.
0: Well uh you gave this speech at the float conference last year i'm thinking about you being in front of a bunch of float enthusiasts giving out all this information (laughs) that this is not a disney happy ending cartoon with with your speech so i'm curious Mm -hmm. with you personally how do you reconcile all this history and um backstory to floating with what we have today like how does that all just settle into your mind
2: well i'm uh I mean, I'm comfortable with the idea that uh, float tanks, like, exist because they're spun off of, like, these secret government mind control programs. Um, So many things in, uh, uh, you know, in the government and in research in general are dual use. Um, So, Hmm. and we have a lot of the technology we have today because... uh, because people were trying to find out, you know, create weaponry. Um, the military is responsible for, for so much. So, like, it's not that surprising that uh, we have, like, this, you know, this apparatus, like, that, that's very, like, useful for therapy, you know, was spun off of government projects, um, because that's just the the way... So much research in the United States, like already is you know that that includes like you know biological uh warfare and things like that you know leading to um, you know all sorts of advancements uh, you know the science is neither like good nor or bad um but yeah, so many things like including floating have this dual use capability
0: um and so we've been talking for about. 40, 45 minutes about this. How do you work all of this into an intro for a first time floater? How does that, <laughs> yeah. Does that work um,
2: I, yeah, that's the question. I don't really have a good answer huh. for, you know, as, as far as like what you're going to say now, like if people right. you know, ask like where did this stuff come from? Um, yeah. So <laughs> that's just going to have to be up, t- up to you to decide.
1: Yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> um, I haven't really tried it out yet. Like, I've been waiting for somebody <laughs> to ask me. And you know, like, well, you know, it came from like, where'd these come from? They came from secret government projects on mind control, but it turned into a good thing that,
1: yeah. you know, we all love.
2: Yeah.
0: Wild, man. Um, a- a- am I accurate in my assumption that there's a lot more that you want to share?
2: Yes. Uh, yeah. There's, there's a lot more. Um, there's Lily's, uh, you know, because after, after this government work, he became a sort of leader in the psychedelic movement. And that's a whole other story um, full of a whole other cast of characters nice, and interesting nice. connections. Um, cool. And honestly, I'm not done researching it yet. So, but okay. um, yeah, there's there's much, much more. This is kind of just a snapshot. <laughs>
0: Would, would you be willing to come back on when you're a little further on? Uh, along Absolutely, your research yeah. And, and share some more because this is uh, unnerving and fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah um, I,
1: I feel like I need to look into um, Dr. Hebb. Yeah, Donald Hebb. Donald Hebb. Yeah. And um, what was it? What you call it? Psychic driving?
2: Yeah, um, you, and Cameron, um, you and Cameron. Yeah, that's that's... Some of the, the most publicized stuff was a good place to start. Um, yeah. And the, there's, there's some, unfortunately, very dark things there. But I, w-
1: I wish we could have taken a picture when you said that that Dr. Hebb is the father of floating. We all kind of, our <laughs> jaws all kind of dropped. We all had a reaction to that. I'm like, yeah. I've never heard of this guy. Who is this? Yeah.
2: Well, to be more precise, he's the father of sensory deprivation, but not floating. Sensory deprivation. Okay. Yeah. Good point good
0: point um, awesome, thank you so much for being here. I really yeah. appreciate you you sharing all this information and taking us for a ride here, which is a, a nice I, I mean that's the format of a podcast. I think that's great that you get to we get to go. You know, from A to Z and take some take some uh, digressions and learn a little bit more rather than just the quick synopsis, which I still feel like was a quick synopsis, which is why we'll need to get your book. Um, so please definitely come on when the when the book is ready as well. But can you yeah. plug your podcast again? Because now no, I, I gotta tune in.
2: <laughs> sure. Yeah, my podcast is Deep State History. Um and uh, the best way to get there is our Patreon page. Um it's free. So uh so far, we're only taking donations. Um, you know, it's not something I do uh, like every week. Um, it's been a little while, but it's still definitely you know a work in progress. So, uh, patreon.com slash Deep State History.
0: Awesome. I'll yeah. be checking it out and um, seeing how deep the rabbit hole goes. It's always a scary, <laughs> it's a scary thing to see beyond than what what you perceive as the world, and and uh, you see how yeah, it's it's always unsettling yeah. to me. Anyway, I agree. Um, Marshall, thank you so much. Uh, Drew, no, did you have another? It looks like you're loaded with another.
1: No, no. I was looking at his um, podcast episodes oh, and awesome. just kind of getting excited. I'm going to definitely check it out. <laughs> oh, cool. Excellent. I guess plug for the podcast, the um, Deep State History of John Lilly Part One, Isolation, Brain Stimulation, and Modified Human Agents. Yeah. I'm excited to listen to that. Nice.
0: Yeah. I guess if you want cool. that bridge from, from sensory deprivation into his podcast, there you go yeah um, let's see here. Uh, before we close out, thanks to my co-host of course, Gloria is not here tonight, but thank you, Gloria for being part of the team. Kim and Drew, thank you guys for being here tonight. really appreciate you. And uh, thanks to Olga for producing tonight's episode. Thanks to our sponsors. Thanks to Float Tank Solutions. Thanks to the FTA. Thanks to Mindful, that's with two L's, Mindful And, oh, you know what? This is the one I forget all the time. Kim, thank you for taking show notes live as we record. I really appreciate that. I keep forgetting to mention that, but uh, you have show notes for us each and every week, and I really appreciate that. And, yeah, oh, uh, we also have a Patreon, patreon.com forward slash art of the float. If you're interested in float media, float photography, and video, and and uh, scientific blog posts, etc. Check that out. Check out shop.artofthefloat.com for um, photography videos a la carte as well as um, some some cool testimonial videos and t-shirts flux has some really cool designs on there as well i will need to put another plug for that on my instagram because that is uh he has some really cool designs and i should say dr flux actually and uh i think that's about it so thanks everybody for listening and until next time um use a, use, use flux for therapeutic purpose uh, let, <laughs> let's let's do it for the, the side of good have a good night